Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Cat Principle Podcast with your host, Al Bolter. Tonight, we're going to hear parts five and six of my 10 series blog on touring the American West called Into the Great Wide Open, Touring the American West. It's based upon a trip I took this past summer throughout the American West, driving almost... Well, 5,500 miles, almost 8,000 or more than 8,000 kilometers in a two-week span in August. So I'll be back in a moment with part five of Into the Great Wide Open, Touring the American West. Into the Great Wide Open, Touring the American West, Part 5 Onward I drove, onward through the American West. Six and a half hours lay ahead as I traversed Interstate 80 eastbound through southern Wyoming. I headed towards Cheyenne where I turned south onto Interstate 25 for the Colorado State Boundary. It's there the sign proclaims, Welcome to Colorful Colorado. My destination was Vail by way of bypassing Denver and climbing up into the mountains via Interstate 70. Passing through the almost 1.7 mile Eisenhower Tunnel, which crosses the Continental Divide, the highway to Vail is a series of steep drops and wild curves. One navigates this against the backdrop of jagged rock silhouettes made ever more daunting by the twilight of the setting sun. At the same time, the road is jammed with runaway truck ramps. They speak to the engineering marvel of building such a highway through the Rocky Mountains. By the time Vail's highway sign glared in my headlights, the silhouettes had disappeared, gone to sleep, awaiting another daybreak. Walking through Vail the next morning, I thought I'd woken up in a ski village somewhere in the Alps. Suddenly the ruggedness of the American West seemed an ocean away. I sauntered by chalet-style buildings housing shops, restaurants, and hotels. Brainchild of a New England skier named Pete Siebert, Vail's development began in 1962. It would become a world-renowned ski resort just a few short years later. Riding the gondola to Midvale and then hiking the peak from there leaves one in awe. The scenic view is of Eagle Valley where Vail Mountain finds itself. The vistas could be a backdrop to the sound of music with one expecting the singing Von Trapp family to break out in chorus at any time. Hiking further, one encounters the Grand Traverse, which crosses the mountain ridge to Eagle's Nest. It's here one catches the Born Free Express number 8 gondola down to Lion's Head, and where the views become even more spectacular. After spending a day in Vail, I came to understand a storefront sign I saw earlier advertising Vail style. The locale has a style unto itself. With idyllic buildings, water fountains, statues, and wondrous vistas, it makes for a unique place in the American West. Something I realized as I drove back through the mountains towards Denver. Perched at the western edge of the vast plains, the hustle and bustle of this frontier city was about to replace the quiet solitude of Vail. Although nicknamed the Mile High City, its elevation is one statutory mile or 5280 feet above sea level, Denver feels more like a big town than it does a city. Its many historical buildings are impressive, and the state capital has to be one of the most splendid in the United States. 
With its column-filled halls and balconies, it presents a magnificent presence upon entering its grandeur. The main entrance features a majestic staircase encircled by murals showcasing the history of Colorado. The gold-filled and beige-colored dome breeze light into the space with its windows accessing the blue sky above. Most interesting, the third level displays oil portraits of each of the 45 American presidents to date. Denver oozes the past with historic buildings around every corner. A walk down the famous 16th Street Pedestrian Mall puts one on track to visit the city's refurbished Union Station. Trains still run by here, however the main hall now features restaurants, shops, and services. Built in 1881, it remains at the center of Denver's multimodal transportation hub. Railroads have always played a key role in Denver's development, and it was Thomas Durant, vice president of Union Pacific Railroad, who in 1867 said that, without railroads, Denver would be too dead to bury. As my visit in Denver wound down, I made my way back to the car. On the way, I couldn't help to notice the many homeless ensconced in the park out front of the state capitol. A sad reminder that for all the beauty of the American West City, it also has its urban challenges. Nonetheless, Denver is worth a visit. Such was my thought as I slowly snaked my way through the sprawling east side of town. It was there that I would recapture the eastbound lanes of Interstate 70. It was there that I would recapture the wide open spaces of the American West. And it was there I would head towards the farms of Kansas. Into the Great Wide Open, Touring the American West, Part 6. As the Denver skyline faded to a distant silhouette in the rearview mirror, the broad expanse of eastern Colorado opened. It was a reminder of what was to come as I hurled eastbound along I-70 headed for the farm fields of Kansas. Say the word Kansas and that classic movie The Wizard of Oz comes to mind. The Dust Bowl of the 1930s hit hard here. But cruising along the interstate, there's no sign of the wild winds that whisk topsoil into virulent clouds of gloom. Instead, the area is begotten with lush farms of wheat and corn as far as the eye can see. Almost 90% of Kansas is dedicated to agricultural uses, making it one of the most productive agricultural states in the Union. As I pulled into the parking lot of the Dwight D. Eisenhower Presidential Library and Museum in Abilene, it made me wonder what it would have been like to grow up in a small rural Kansas town during the late 1800s and early 1900s. Surrounded by corn and weed in the grasp of Tornado Alley, one is reminded of this by a bowling alley named Tornado Alley Lanes right off the interstate exit, it was here that President Dwight D. Eisenhower, who lived from 1890 to 1969, spent his formative years. On seeing downtown Abilene, it's amazing to think that such a towering historical figure hailed from such humble beginnings. The museum does a fantastic job of displaying the breadth and depth of Eisenhower's life. From seeing the original boyhood home to visiting the chapel where he and his wife are laid to rest is an awe-inspiring tour. The main museum entrance features fantastic murals depicting Ike, a childhood nickname which stuck, while he was Supreme Commander of Allied Forces during World War II. 
Once past that, it houses an excellent array of exhibits that bring the full scope of his life to bear. It demonstrates the incredible journey of this one small town boy becoming supreme allied commander and then onwards to serving two terms as US president. It leaves one with a sense of wonderment. Plans are worthless, but planning is everything, said Eisenhower. So with that in mind, I dropped my original plan of staying put the night and headed north to Nebraska. I figured I could make Lincoln, Nebraska by sundown, and I would have if it hadn't been for a couple of digressions along the way. The history of the American West never ceases, and again it struck me while driving north. Not far from the Nebraska-Kansas border is the town of Marysville. Little did I realize that this town lay on the historic Pony Express route and is home to the only original Pony Express station to still be standing. Built in 1861, it's now a museum open to the public, albeit arrived a little late for the grand tour. In its stead, I had to settle for a few pictures of this solid stone structure and the black silhouetted Pony Express statue galloping around the corner. Further up the road, halfway between Marysville and Lincoln on Route 77, I stumbled upon a sign for the Homestead National Monument of America. Due west of the Nebraskan town of Beatrice, I once again interrupted my trek and turned left onto Route 4. In the twilight of a prairie sunset, the monument finally came into sight. Again, it was closed, but I had the good fortune of learning a few fascinating facts about the homesteaders. In 1862, Congress passed the Homestead Act, which offered 160 acres of free land to anyone willing to live on it, farm it, and build a house on it. The government privatized some 270 million acres in some 30 U.S. states through the Act, which through this, and eventually other laws, privatized more than 1.1 billion acres. In describing the Homesteader experience on a plaque at the monument, American author Lila Cather, who lived from 1873 to 1947, wrote in her celebrated 1980 novel, My Anatonia, that there, quote, there seemed to be nothing to see, no fences, no creeks or trees, no hills or fields. There was nothing but land, not a country at all, but the material out of which countries are made, unquote. As the rolling fields and farm fences of Nebraska slipped by on my odyssey to Lincoln, it recalled the backbreaking work and dedication these settlers had to have. They carved an existence out of nothing, and in doing so carved a nation out of the soil upon which they found themselves. One shovel at a time, one pick at a time, and one plow at a time, the American West came to be. Well, folks, you just heard parts five and six of my 10-part series of blogs on touring the American West called Into the Great Wide Open, Touring the American West. I hope you enjoyed it. If you'd like to uh, read the actual blogs, you could, they're, they're found on my website at www.albertbolter.com. And uh, in, the, in each of the blogs on the website, you'll also find pictures embedded from photographs embedded from the, um, the trip which uh, add to the whole flavor of the stories told in the blogs. So feel free to check them out. 
If you're uh, interested in reading the book I published, it's called The Cat Principle, Change, Action, Trust, Words to Live By. It was an award-winning book published first in 2014, which won the gold award for best self-help improvement book of 2014 uh, in the global ebook awards of that year based out of Santa Barbara, California. So until the next time, and oh yes, and those that book can be found on Amazon.com or .ca worldwide as well as Barnes and Noble. So until the next time, have a good one.